0: My friends, it's Tim Viegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you've hit play on chapter 5 of Inclusion Stories, our five-part podcast series that tells the stories of families, educators, and school systems on their journey to full and authentic inclusive education for each and every learner. If you haven't heard the other four chapters, please do. Of course, You're going to do what you want, which is totally fine. Uh, I just want to make sure you get the context of this chapter because, frankly, there is going to be a lot of me in this one. When I started this podcast series, I had it in my mind that I was going to show the world what a truly inclusive school was. I had very specific ideas of data points and practices that must be present in order for a school to own this distinction. And what I've come to realize is that much like many things in life, it is not as clear-cut and straightforward as we all would like it to be. To start us off, I need to take you back in time. Here, uh, step into my time machine. I know, I know, it's bigger on the inside. Okay. Are you ready? So back around 2011, and mind you, I was still a fairly new Southerner. We had just moved to the Atlanta metro area in 2008. I was a teacher in a segregated special education classroom for students with severe and profound intellectual disabilities. Yeah, I don't like the name either, but that is what it was called. I was already getting the reputation of being the inclusion guy around my district. So when the Georgia Department of Education wanted to run a pilot inclusion program for students with intellectual disabilities, I was asked if I wanted to participate. And of course I said, yes, I mean, this was huge. Imagine the implications. If this program was successful, a consultant was brought in to work with me during the pilot and As we were figuring out which one of my students would be a good fit for the program, we settled on Damien, a boy with multiple disabilities who loved being with his peers. One of the first memories I have of working with Damien's family was being on the phone with his mom and her imploring me that she didn't want her son to be left behind or forgotten about. And so I made it my mission to make sure that Damien was given access to everything that every other student had access to. Our journey started in first grade. And guess what happened? It was successful. Even more successful than I thought it would be. Not a surprise if you've been paying attention throughout this series. I just want to pause here to say that Damien's inclusion was really only possible because he had a paraprofessional with him the entire time. And I think. That's the only way the school or district allowed it to happen because he had this level of support. Now, did he actually need it? Yes. But an unintended consequence of this success was that now it was messaged to the school and the district that inclusion really just meant a paraprofessional implementing supports. That's not inclusion. But at the time, I thought it was. And so did a lot of other people. In 2011, our team went to the task conference in Atlanta to present on the inclusion pilot. It was a proud moment. But as I look back on this experience, I realized that what we did was just for Damien. And while it benefited him and all the students and staff that knew him, did it change the system that segregated him to my classroom in the first place? I mean, this was the point of the whole exercise. If it were up to my principal or district administrators, teachers would have to opt in to inclusive classrooms and make sure everyone is happy, including the families, before we did anything like this again. These were the conversations we were having. Inclusion, only if you want it. But for Damien, we continued. He was included for a larger portion of his day each year in second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. And by the time he was in fifth, he was included for over 80% of his day in general education. Overall, inclusion for him was successful because we planned for it. And he got the support that we planned for. At the end of the 2014-2015 school year, as he was headed to middle school, Damien received the Citizenship Award. Let's listen in. Here is a Kincaid, Damian has exceeded expectations, uh, including myself, Not mine are pretty high. One of the first conversations I had with Damian's parents was about their concern that he would get stuck because of low expectations. And the tendency for people not to push Damian because they didn't know what he was capable of. With such strong advocates as parents, they are just as responsible for Damian's success uh, as he is. We started including Damien in general education in first grade for a portion of the day, and each subsequent year were more successful um, and increased the time. Uh, this year he spent most of the day in Mrs. McAlpin's fifth grade class, and we are happy to report that he has been a full participant in that classroom community, but also more importantly he has been a full citizen here at Kincaid Elementary School. This success follows him to Simpson Middle School where he is slated to attend general education segments throughout his day. Uh, to ensure that he continues not to get stuck. So with that in mind, it's my greatest pleasure to award Damien Boyd Jr. the Citizenship Award.
1: Woo!
0: Woo! One of the teachers that Damien had was so inspired after having him in her classroom, she decided to leave the general education classroom and work in a segregated self-contained classroom for students with intellectual disabilities Certainly not the outcome that I would have wanted. As the school team was planning for Damien's transition to middle school, the special education director told me that, guess what? Damien was reassessed and he isn't in the severe and profound intellectual disability range. He was in the moderate intellectual disability range. So isn't it great? Now that we know where he belongs, he can go to a lesser restrictive environment. And of course, the middle school just didn't know what to do with including him because they've never done it. And it seemed like his teacher was just going through the motions. In fact, I know of school staff that called the whole thing a joke and inappropriate, not the outcome I would have hoped for. As we head back into the present, I've been wondering if all the work we did with Damien was worth it. So I reached out to Damien's family. And one chilly fall morning we met in their living room. Hey, what's up, Damien? Morning. It wasn't hard to find, was it? No. I've been here before. I remember. Kind of. <laughs> I was like, this looks familiar. It's good to see
2: you, kind of man. Good to see you too. He's right here. We literally just finished my, uh, breakfast. Okay, great. Damien, you say hi to Mr. Tim? What's up, Damien?
0: Damien. Hi. 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 Did you just have breakfast? Damien, how old are you now? How old are you?
2: 19.
0: 19 years old.
2: 19.
0: And you're a senior. You're a senior, yes. Say yes. Oh my gosh. So you're 19, you're a senior. Something that I've come to understand a little bit better and like where I've grown to as far as my thinking about inclusion. You know, when we first started including Damien, uh, I thought that... Well, if we could get Damien included in first grade, and then second, and then fourth, you know, third and fourth, and when he was by, by the time he was in fifth grade, he was in for majority of the day. Um, I was thinking if people see this and people see the success, it'll spread through the school. Um, and I think for, for the most part, people did see it as successful. There, there were definitely people that didn't. But what I think I missed Um, is that the principal needed to be the one to lead the work in this. Not a special ed teacher in pod A. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because no matter how successful we were, um, I was still seen as that teacher in pod A. You know?
2: I think you were seen as more than that. Well, okay. Just for for the record... Uh You were seen as an innovator, but innovation isn't always easy. Yeah. And I think you have a point. If you're not bought in,
0: mm-hmm.
2: if the whole school's not bought in, then it's short-lived. Now, once again, I think there was a great benefit to the kids who experienced
0: it. Absolutely.
2: And I think it, I, you know what I also noticed? I noticed that teachers that were the mainstream class teachers, mm-hmm they grew too. Yes. I watched them develop and I watched them go from, I'm frustrated by this to, ooh, I have a good idea. Or maybe we can figure this out or I think this would be a good thing to do with Damien. So I think what I enjoyed is I enjoyed when the lights went on with those teachers Mm -hmm. and they started to think about him as easily as they thought about the other kids. And it was always a journey. It was like, in August, they're frustrated. <laughs> yeah. In yes. September, they're quizzical. They're wondering. By October, they're excited. And by the end of the year, he was one of their favorite students, and they were like, I'm going to miss him. Oh, my God. Uh, there was one teacher I remember. of the science class that he was in. And... She was trying to figure out. She was totally frustrated. She was trying to figure out how to engage Damien. And, you know, we bring him over and we had to go in and show, hey, his world is within about two feet of his chair. That's all of his world. Oh, so I have to bring him in closer. Yes. And then brought him in closer. And they're, they're talking about earth science, I remember. And, you know, she's talking about something. And Damien says, soil erosion. And she went, Yes. Soil erosion she didn't realize that he was learning and he was listening the entire time. And he knew the answer. He knew it. And she knew that he knew it. And when she said yes, he cracked up laughing and the whole class got it. But once again, she had to understand oh, I can't just look at the surface. He has more going on. And if I give him the information, it's not up to me to it's not up to me to make sure he has it. It's just I need to let him, let me know that he, he captured it. And, and it really made a difference for, not like I said, not only him, but other people in the class, because she didn't know that that was something he absolutely knew. Mm-hmm. But that's how it works. But if you don't have a bought-in principle, then you may change, you don't change the generations of students coming through. You change a class or two. Uh-huh. It's smaller impact. Yeah, it's still impact, but it's smaller.
0: I've been thinking a lot about impact. What will the impact of this podcast series be? Who in a school district do we need to focus on to increase the leverage to move inclusive practices forward? And what impact can a single teacher have in a system that isn't inclusive? Now, I've promised you some updates on our friends, Sevi Harper, and Natalia. And don't worry, we are going to get to them. But before we say hi to them, I want you to meet a former colleague of mine that knows a thing or two about trying to change a system from within.
3: My name is Shari McCrary, and I am a former supervisor for students with disabilities in a school system. And I worked with students of intellectual disabilities, autism,
0: behavior disorder. Shari and I, Know each other professionally. And Shari, I think you knew that inclusion was important to me. Yes. Yeah.
3: I've always known that.
0: Yeah. And you've also known that I tried wherever I was, my best to chain hearts and minds, practices toward inclusion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think was the really the, the barrier?
3: You know, I, I, and I go back to this story. When I was teaching in middle school, of course, self-contained, and we started a friends program. Yeah. In the back of my head, a friends program doesn't do it. That's not inclusion, right? But it was the best I could do at that school, with that administration, with that staff, Now, I will say by the end of the year, teachers were coming in and and talking to the kids, but that was, you know, the term reverse inclusion, basically. You know, we were making cookies and, you know, selling them in the school, but the students were never invited to go into the Gen Ed classroom. It was like it was okay as long as they were, you know, here, and I'll come see them, you know. Um, which brings me to another barrier that I feel like is true in life. I feel like a lot of the teachers don't feel prepared to work with students with disability.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think educators, um, in general, are like purposefully trying to, you know, separate or segregate students or treat students any differently. Right. Um, it's just if you're not used to being around people who have a certain profile, you know, or, you know, are autistic or you know have an intellectual disability, or if you're not used to it. You don't know how to act. You right. don't know.
3: I've also had experience where a teacher has said to me, I'm not sure how the other students will accept them in the classroom. And she didn't know how to handle that, you know, which is a, a valid thing. But that's also teaching the other students in the class about disabilities. You know, and everybody's different.
0: Don't you think that's why, though, like it it should be coming like it's like it's great when teachers and and like general ed and special ed teachers come together and make something work. Right. It's great. But that's not sustainable. No. Right. right. So it really needs to come from the top. It needs to come at least from the principal.
3: Absolutely. What has always stuck out in my head is my principal came in to my self-contained high school classroom, severe profound, housed in a trailer at an elementary school. But, But she walked in, and I did a lesson on, I can't even remember what it was, geometric shapes or something, and the students all had their devices, they were answering questions, and she looked at me and said, you always told me they could learn, but now I see it.
0: Right. Yeah.
3: But, she still didn't let me take those students out into Jeanette. i think as a culture we need to help teachers explore their own beliefs right because i don't think they've really thought about it don't have time they've got pressure from the state to get these standards taught and all that but what are their true beliefs yeah and if they recognize that that would be a starting point for somebody to help them you know in their classroom and stuff
0: most people don't go into special education without a reason right you know right like um
3: well i can tell you my reason
0: yeah please
3: (laughs) right out of high school no i was a senior in high school and i started volunteering King, it's gonna make me tear up started volunteering with students with disabilities in the basement of a church and Every time I would go there. I would think why are they in the basement? Why are they downstairs in a basement? They ha- it It just it got to me and I mean from day one of college at the University of Alabama I was in special ed. I was going to be a special ed teacher and make a difference, right? Tried, you know, got there, got a teaching degree, got my you know, masters, my specialist, and my doctorate. But it's hard to make a change in a system that's not there yet in their thinking, right? So I was like you, I tried to do small things within each building I was in, you know, to make a difference, but I mean, that's why I started. Why are these children in the basement of a church?
0: As I wrapped up with Shari, I just had one more question. What do you tell teachers who are stuck in a system that is not inclusive?
3: It may not be in your time, but what about that next teacher and that next teacher, right? And that next student, the opportunity. So you're always fighting for that student to have that opportunity. So you can't give up. You don't give up. You and I didn't give up. We didn't leave the system because we didn't have full inclusion, right? So what you do is you start getting the students out as much as possible, anywhere possible. If it's PE, if it's art, if it's start, start there. But more importantly, start having Open, honest conversations with the staff at your school.
0: After a short break, we'll catch up with the families of Sevi, Harper, and Natalia. Kristen, Sevi, what's up? What's going on? Good. You doing good? Yeah,
1: <laughs> we are
4: enjoying our last day of summer. School starts tomorrow.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, um, yeah. My kids started August first.
4: Oh no, already?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's
4: the earliest I've heard. Wow.
0: Yeah, it's a Georgia thing. So it's it's August, and we saw each other in January, mm-hmm. yes. right? So impressive. it's been a, been a few months. Um, and the last time we talked, if I remember correctly, uh, you were still having IEP meetings and trying to figure out what the rest of the school year was going to look like. Yep. So what, um, what, what was the outcome for this year? Did it did it get better? Oh. Is it worse? Like what happened?
4: Do You want to talk about second semester?
1: <laughs> it was really hard. It was hard. Yeah. Why was it hard? It was hard because they had no supports. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't let me use the markers for coloring, coding for color coding. They thought I was cutting, but I'm not. My markers helped me understand. So it sounds like they they weren't too
0: accommodating. Yeah. No.
4: Yeah. It was rough. I mean, we saw some <laughs> growth, which I think. In any freshman, you know, who's starting over in a whole new situation, especially someone like Sevy, who has so many moving parts to his program, he changed school, he changed all his teachers, he changed his aid, he changed every provider except for two um, who have more of an itinerant role. So he completely started over. So we did see, um, we did see growth from first semester to next semester. If you look at kind of a GPA perspective, if you look at, you know, what, what did he, how did he interact with material? How did he do homework? Kind of his, his overall affect. I think that improved, but it was rough. You know, we had a, we had a lot of meetings, a lot of meetings, and we had very little movement. So he ended the school year in the, in the state, the current state that we talked about in January um, with lack of supports, um, lack of full implementation of his IEP from my perspective. Um, in terms of services and accommodations. And um thankfully though, for next year, we it looks like we're going to have those supports we had been working for in place. And um, you know, the, the big question always is, you know, how is the staff going to respond? So we have the framework, but how is that going to be filled in? Because without you know, without that um collaboration, it's it's doable, but it's really hard. I mean, it's really, really hard, and it's really stressful on him. It's stressful on me, and um, it just feels like a constant uphill battle. And it, I just, you know, I just feel like it doesn't need to be that way.
0: What do you hope school leaders will learn from
1: your story, Sevi? I want them to know that I can make friends in all my classes. So this makes me feel happy. This makes me act like a most other kids don't care that I have that them, but some do. I work hard, and if I have support, I can do it. Everyone should have a chance to be born. If you had a school staff that already
0: knew and felt, and it was a priority that Sevi felt like he belonged in that school, in the school, then a lot of this just wouldn't even have to, it wouldn't be a fight, right?
4: Right. And and really, you need one. You need one person. It doesn't seem like enough, but it is. You just need one. And I'm just really struggling to find that one. Mm. And I don't know if it's just because it's high school, because they're high, I mean, face it, in high school, the focus is on the kids becoming adults and self-advocating and doing all these things for themselves and taking ownership, like right, becoming adults and and being able to to go off to the next step of their life and 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 not need their parents to do all these things for them. Well, that's what I want for Sevi. So why wouldn't we be doing that same thing for Sevi as we would for everybody else? But when you have a kid like Sevi who is not yet able to do all of those things for himself and needs someone to help him represent his viewpoint and his voice and his mindset or still needs that to be done for him, right, because he's not there yet, then why are we shutting that down? Like, they're, they're not used to parents being there. They're not really used to engaging with parents in that way at a high school level. And so some of it, I think, is just the dynamic of high school. But um, there's also a mindset, you know, in, in my area. That is very different than the alignment with the vision that we have for my son. And that's been hard. You know, that's been hard um, because we, we will not budge from that. I am a firm believer that there is nobody in this world that has the right to change my mindset for my son other than my son. That's it. He's the only one who gets to tell me, uh-uh, you're wrong about that instead we're doing this right and so I will not budge um and I'm happy to engage in conversation to figure out how we can build capacity and I understand it's a process and I understand there's lots of many steps and I understand there's a lot of perceived barriers but if we can't engage in collaborative discussion it's really hard to have any kind of movement yeah
0: thanks for sharing that with me so justin and christina why don't you just uh fill me in on kind of how how did the end of the last school year like go for harper and and the family
5: I mean, it went really well. She had a very good team in place. Um, you know, there's always little hiccups here and there, but for the most part, communication from the school was great. Um, you know, her, one of her teachers has her PhD and tons of specialized reading instruction, um, including special education and general education. And um, she has since left the county. Uh, which is unfortunate, but she did do a um, summer camp over the summer called Camp Learn-A-Lot. And um, Harper took her first test in uh, science on the phases of the moon. And that was something that the teacher front-loaded during the summer. And so she made an 80% on it, which was great, you know, because she already kind of knew the content. So it was really neat. It was neat to see her independently take a test and succeed you know and 80 is not great for some people but i think it's amazing so Uh,
0: that is amazing yeah yeah Yeah, that's really good for sure very good
5: Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean it, it went great i mean her team's great this year she got to keep her same communication para which was amazing of course you know i write letters at the end of the year to everybody um telling her how amazing She's doing with the parent, the support team she has. Please don't take it. And then, like you know, please, please don't change people. I'll die. Like
6: she made uh, so much progress in school and was just um, she's you know always excited to to go to school and um, just just be with her friends and the teacher, uh, the teachers and the team she had last year really really pushed her, but in a good way because um, she really grew a lot and it was it's exciting to see. And then they kind of continued it with her. Camps over the summer um and uh you know we're just really proud of of the, the work she does i mean i don't i could promise there's no one that works harder at that school than than harper Berry. so um it's really <laughs> cool to see and you know she's she used to be really bad at transitioning um but you know even uh just with the new school year with the new teachers for uh, even if some parts of the team are the same but obviously a lot changes when you move up to a gray level um She's, she's done really well and continues to do well. So we're, we're excited with, with the, uh, you know, progress she continues to make that, you know, we know she wouldn't be making it, um, if she was not, not being included, uh, you know, in the, in regular education classes. And she's a, a fourth grader now. Mm-hmm. Fourth grade. Correct. Fourth grade.
0: Well, awesome. uh, you know, uh, in, I, it's fresh in my mind because I, I've re-listened to our conversation, you know, uh, mm-hmm. which was like over a year ago, but mm-hmm. I think that, uh, what I kind of glean from all that is when you have a really good teacher you're you know you're gonna learn <laughs> you know like and where are the best teachers? The best teachers are in general ed, not to say that there aren't really great teachers that teach in special education classrooms um, well,
5: even for an example, like I can tell you since since her um inception, I guess, into the school system, she had a very well qualified pre-K teacher, special needs pre-K teacher. Um, but from the start of kindergarten in a unit, the teacher wasn't even certified, no specialized reading instruction. Same thing with the next year and the next year until we fully pulled her out of the unit. And now the difference is three of them have had PhDs. They've all had specialized reading instruction. And that's just sad, but that's the fact in our county. So like I mean, the amount of progress she made in the last year and a half. So she went from, I guess it was the end of last year. I, I Not last year, but the previous year that I pulled her completely from the unit, which was the last section, segment of the day she was in there was math and she was barely recognizing her numbers past like 10 and whatever. And she went within a year and a half of that um, double digit adding and subtracting with proper supports and, and you know, it's, it's sad because there are kids sitting in that classroom right now. Not that the teacher's not lovely because she is very nice. She just doesn't have the qualifications and you know, you put kids at most risk for falling behind with the people with the least experience. It makes no sense to me, but um not my kid anymore for now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a major problem. It's not just a, you know, sure. A, you know, our county, your county, problem. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's nationwide. Teacher preparation. Um, yeah. And when you have uh, inclusive schools, have really strong universal tier one core instruction. You know, there's a lot of different names for it, but you know, if if you have a really strong education core base with any teacher then it doesn't matter who's in that class you're going to you know there's going to be great teaching practices going on in that class um and that's what that's what i've been learning you know through this whole situation what would you say to an educator like a teacher or a principal or maybe somebody in district leadership that is like oh i'm not i don't know about this inclusion thing i it you know in theory it sounds nice but you know, I I just don't know.
5: I feel like my biggest thing I would probably say is regardless what your county does or doesn't do or support, you as a teacher have the opportunity to genuinely change a child's life, right? And their trajectory. And doing so, like for example, with my child, if she wasn't, albeit forced through our involvement in pushing things. If she weren't in this setting, she would not be making any progress. She'd be stuck like a bump on a log and not learning. And that's, that's unfortunate and sad. And the fact that being an educator, knowing you can actually make that type of a difference in a child's life, like, why would you not? Like, even if it's scary, and it takes, you know, you know, maybe just take one little step at a time toward it, right? Like, and and start one thing at a time and, and, you know, find out ways to include a child and, you know, look at children, even just a shy child who's sitting there that doesn't socialize in the classroom, make it easy for all of them to do it. Like, it's not just kids with disabilities, it's including everyone um, of any exceptionality, right? So, like, um, you wouldn't segregate a child based on Um, their skin color or their hair color or eye color, why would you do it based on abilities? Like that's, it makes no sense to me, you know? Um, um, Yeah, I guess, I guess that's, yeah. Give them a chance. There's no reason not to, they deserve it.
6: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, their role, right, is to serve the community as a whole. And you're not serving the community to its fullest if you're segregating. Um, It's never, segregation has never, ever proven to, to, be a good thing at all um and so including everybody and like christina said no matter what your um cognitive levels skin color religion uh hair color um you know that that should not matter what matters is inclusion and learning from people from different backgrounds uh and, and different um capacities um and so that's why inclusion is is a must um you know i see it all the time just from the random interactions we have in our community with Harper's peers and just how they love seeing her and they're Harper, Harper, Harper. Like, it's like, it's amazing how watch other kids light up when they, when they run into her um, and how excited they are. They don't like shun from her, which would happen probably if she was like off in another room in the back of the school, right. With, um, you know, in a, in a different room, but because she's included and because they know her and understand her.
5: Because um, it's the norm. Right. Like that's but just that's, what normally mm-hmm. happens. And so I would also add that, you know, you as educators are building our next leaders, right? You're building these presidents and CEOs and COOs, CFOs, whatever you want to call them. But I guarantee you, none of those people that succeed to that level will have not had to deal with people different than them. I mean, they're going to have to learn how to interact with many different types of people on all different types of levels, not just, um, you know. People with special needs, or or what have you, but it it's going to be all kinds of different people. And and to be successful in life, those children have to be taught that at a very young age. And unfortunately, sometimes they aren't taught that in their families. And um, if you can be that that changing factor, even for a typically developing child, who you can teach them the empathy that they're failing to get at home by including children with exceptionalities, you've just done that. Our not only them, but our whole community a favor like of building good humans
0: yeah oh man great 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 stuff um really appreciate again your your participation in this and um it's gonna be awesome what's happened with Natalia um you had an iep you know what's what's going on what's the latest
7: this year was good I, I can't complain it was good she has two good teachers not as good as last year's teacher but they were good she got her eligibility, She's still general right? and, yes
0: um but then the mm-hmm. placement meeting
7: yeah so she's the same in a in um collab for next year mhm lady was mild intellectual disability
1: mm-hmm.
7: speech or language impairment, and I don't have the last one, but they added uh visual impairment too
0: right okay to the and so then right now her services are all be- are all in that that collab class, right correct,
7: so she's getting um uh, pulled out for one hour math and one hour reading
0: okay. Is that with the special ed teacher that's in the collab class, or is it another special ed teacher?
7: Uh, it's this. It's a small group. It's it's called small group, but is a special ed mm-hmm. teacher in a small group? Um, it's not a special. A special ed classroom, uh, because you know they only have the autism class in there. Good. So uh, how gets. do you
0: how do you feel about that? You still right. feel like it's been successful this year.
7: Yeah, I think she made a lot of progress in in other areas. You know, um, we we tend to only see the academic progress because this is what we get in, in the report. But for me, well, you know, Natalia gets home and I try to do some homework with her and sometimes she will engage with me and, and I see she, she's like... Boom, boom, boom! Doing everything she's supposed to do, but most days she's like, "I don't want to do schoolwork again. Why do I need to do this at home?" But I've seen when when she wants to work with me, she has made some like no amazing progress. So I think that for the general teacher, I explained to her, you know, as long as I see that she's making progress, even slow progress, that to me. It's great because she's growing in so many other areas, too, that she couldn't have that in, in the, at the other school or in a special ed setting only. So. Yeah,
8: she's learning how to get back in line. Like you're going to a restaurant with a buddy, coming back to the classroom. She's learning to do transition from class to recess to back to class. She's learning... Man, she gets off the She's car very when i drop
7: independent. Her. i
8: drop her off the car and she her, her sister doesn't even wait for her and she just goes to her classroom straight without wandering off and she you know. just
7: says hi to everybody good morning yeah, she
8: calling. rides the bus without getting in trouble for the most part
7: so you know I, right. how, what do you how do you think we could bring some more inclusion culture to what would be a good approach
0: i mean you could you could um uh it it just depends on how like if you feel like you've got a good thing going with your your local school then you know in developing relationships (laughs) with them and and good practices for natalia but if you want to try to make a bigger impact um then then i would yeah i would talk with the director and be like hey look this is what's happening with Natalia we're really passionate about this we'd love to see inclusive practices be more widely adopted um once um once this podcast series is done you can you can share it with them i don't know if you have any other families um of uh who have children with down syndrome or other disabilities that, that you want to like maybe have a little cohort, you know,
8: like an advocacy? I you know several families uh, that are actually very close in age with Natalia. Everybody else's approach on this thing is so different.
7: There is another girl with Down syndrome, and she's in kindergarten. And the, the parents are very educated. Um, they work at, at the university here. And I remember um, when Natalia was in kindergarten, she stopped me one day and she said, "Oh, uh, I have a daughter with Down syndrome too, and she'll be coming to this school. I hope so one day. And I want to thank you for um, everything you have done because I know it's hard. So that was, you know, nice to hear. But then um, this year I saw her again. She's still in school and. She said, "You know, I've heard all the stories about Natalia and how hard it has been for you guys. And we haven't had any issues at this school with my daughter. She's been in a collab. She's included. She has friends, and it's been so easy for us. And I think it's all because of you and Natalia. You know, and I thank you for that. And you know that that to me." was you know all oh, we have to fight and if it's helping our family that's great You know,
0: it sounds like the thing you know you want to make an impact obviously like that's your desire but you definitely are already making an impact <laughs> you know like so like what you said about the, the families um, you know the family following in your your footsteps so I, I think I'd feel really good about that.
8: So Well like you said, Timmy, I think uh, this what we're doing is infectious and uh, and what we're doing in and in, in inclusion people that are smart see that it's a good thing, right? Thanks for sharing that.
0: Um uh, well we're we're right at our time but is there anything else that you wanted to share before we close it up
7: uh, well no we had, like I said we had a great a great year we're <laughs> thankful for you know all the opportunities we had it, it wasn't perfect
8: so we made it work right I and it worked good
7: yeah it's it just making progress slow progress This is doing it's just doing good
8: Awesome.
0: Awesome. I don't know if you noticed any particular themes in the conversations we've had in this chapter, but I'll throw out some words and see if they resonate. Imperfect. Progress. Impact. Start. Mindset. Action. Practices. And there's one more big one that jumps out at me. Hope. I was telling a podcaster friend of mine recently that this whole podcast series has been an experiment in hope. An experiment that, if it does what I hope it does, will move you to action, whatever your context. Okay, before I close this chapter out... I want you to meet some individuals that will help crank that hope meter up to 11.
9: Burnett. I'm an assistant professor at East Carolina University. I brought my students to TASH because they saw inclusive practices for the first time this year, um, and they got to see a county in Maryland, and they had never seen inclusive practices. It's not something that is very accessible in North Carolina, uh, so this was the first time, and we had to go across many states to see it done in action, and um, we had to write a small grant to get them to be able to go on this trip. Um, and so that was free to them, and this conference is also free to them because of this grant through ECU. It's an internal grant.
0: Right. And and so we are at the TASH conference, and you have a poster presentation. Yes. Right. And so what is what is on the poster? Like what like what are you sharing in the poster?
9: so their um post presentation is about pre-service teachers um perceptions of inclusive or of a variety of placement settings um because in north carolina the only option for them is to see a self-contained class so i took them to a self-contained class and the first thing they did when they got back was they did a little video blog um i took that information i put it in these quotes and i've found some interesting themes. And um, one of the things they kept saying was, oh, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um, And then I took them to Maryland and they saw inclusive practices and they were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was possible. This is amazing. What are we doing in North Carolina? Why aren't we doing this here? Um, And just a lot of changing perceptions from what they thought was good to what they know now is the right thing. And that inclusion is a, a human right for all people so
0: awesome okay yeah. and so we have the students here and so we'll just go we'll go from left to right
10: my name is madeline pierce uh, i am currently a student at east carolina university um, studying special education um so for the trip for me when i kind of experienced inclusion and what it was was after i experienced it and i like kind of decided and, and brainstormed was it felt a lot like common sense like it was something that felt so right and like what was really needed it was just supposed to be like the norm um so it was really weird to kind of go in and, and see how different it was from how I grew up seeing it and how like awesome it was to see all the the students and um kids like collaborating along with the teachers and how each of them you know were like oh like we're not quite there yet or we don't like and but it was awesome to see that they were putting an effort and it was something they were really passionate about um and the thing that I said to Dr. Burnett after we were done was I hated her because now I'm still going into schools in North Carolina now and I'm doing practicums um, and seeing students in those settings who aren't able to have like inclusion, um, it's, it's upsetting because you see the, like their potential and how much they could actually benefit from it and they don't have the opportunity to. So it, I think it's like a motivator and it makes me want to be an educator in that way and, and kind of provide that for them. Um, so that was my standpoint i just thought it was common sense basically my name is mackenzie wittenborn i'm a student at east carolina university also studying special education Uh, before coming to maryland and like actually seeing inclusion i knew it was a thing but i like was never able to see it in north carolina my mom's a special educator and it's just like it's always been self-contained like they're in their own bubble in their own island and it's like sometimes it feels like. They're not even a part of the school, almost, because they're so secluded from everybody else. And then coming to Maryland and seeing, like, there wasn't even a separate setting classroom. It was everybody was in the same classroom, receiving the same instruction, with slight modifications and supports. And, like, like she said, it, was, it feels like it should be common sense it should be practiced everywhere.
11: My name is Kenzie Black and I'm an undergrad student at East Carolina University also majoring in special education. When I came to Maryland my initial thought like when I saw these inclusive education practices I was like wow like it's it's such a culture shock because I come from North Carolina obviously piggybacking off of these two everything is so secluded and segregated when it comes to special education and to be able to come to Maryland and see like all of these kids that are they would be in in a Secluded setting in North Carolina to see it in an inclusive setting in Maryland. I'm just like, this should be implemented everywhere. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be taking this long, and there shouldn't be people fighting against it because it clearly works. I want this practice to be implemented across like not even just the U.S. but like internationally too. It's just this is so important, and I feel like everybody kind of needs to get on board with these inclusive practices. So yeah. Hello, I am Natalie Brown, and I am also. A student at East Carolina University studying special education adapted curriculum and as everyone else has been saying before coming to Maryland I had never seen inclusion taking place in person I have always heard the definition of inclusion what it should look like but honestly before taking this class I feel like now I have a deeper understanding of what inclusion is that I didn't really have an understanding of previously and so After taking this course and seeing everything in Maryland, I now know that the main roadblock to inclusion is mindset And I feel like now I'm inspired to change this mindset because students with disabilities deserve to be in um, the general education classroom And I it's honestly in my quote. I say this every time. It makes me really passionate about inclusion and I can't wait to implement it in the future school that I'll be teaching at and I can't wait to get started I feel like now after seeing this and learning from Dr. Burnett and this experiment experience, I now know where I can start, have an idea of how I can get it going in schools in my county, so I'm really excited. My name's Cassie Hagler and I'm a student at East Carolina University also studying special education. I think the biggest thing for me was that in North Carolina you know we never see anything like this and so I thought inclusion was kids being in a typical classroom for lunch and recess and maybe going into reading class and sitting in the back that is that's what I thought before getting go to Maryland and then when we got down there and seeing kids in the typical gen ed classrooms and some of them even on grade level and doing the same materials with their peers collaborating it was something that you cannot unsee and going back home it's something that you want to go into the classrooms and just get started on right away so that these kids aren't losing these learning opportunities.
0: Thank you all for your time and your thoughts. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank Thank you. you.
0: (laughs) What I've come to realize in this series and I hope you have too, is that the big questions that I've been trying to answer, what is an inclusive school or where are the inclusive schools, are really the wrong questions. The right question is, what am I doing to move inclusive education forward in my own context? And you know what? I can point to... Plenty of examples of imperfect inclusion everywhere, and say, that's not inclusion, and "and that's not inclusion. Frankly, to say something is not inclusion is the easy part. That is not to say we can't offer an alternative, a better way, and a vision forward. That is the hard part. To not only shed light on the imperfections, but lead. I read this quote the other day, and I just can't let it go. It's from a writer slash blogger, Anne-Marie Bonneau. And it's about zero waste, but here's the quote. We don't need a handful of people doing zero waste perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. Well, Anne-Marie Bonneau, I'm going to use your quote in our context. We don't need a handful of people doing inclusive education perfectly. We need millions of people doing inclusive education imperfectly. Will you start, even if it's imperfect?
1: Inclusion Stories is written, edited, sound-designed, mixed, and mastered by Kim Villegas.
7: And it is a production of the Merrill Coalition for Inclusive Education.
1: For more information about Inclusive education, visit M-C-I-E dot org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.
0: A huge shout out to our sponsors. We couldn't have done this project without you. Communication First, Roots of Inclusion, the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, the Thompson Policy Institute on Disability, I Secure Privacy, the White Family, the Teague Family, and to our supporters at the Washington Office of Superintendent of Public Instruction, as well as our friends at Club 21 in Pasadena, California. We are grateful for your partnership. Special thanks to Damien, Sevy, Harper, and Natalia, along with all of their families. Thanks to Greg Drews and the Truth for giving us permission to use their song, The Light, from the album Yellow Rose as our theme. If you loved this series and want another season of Inclusion Stories, consider donating to MCIE. I'll drop a link in the show notes. We would also appreciate a rating on Spotify and or a review on Apple Podcasts. Or even better, share it with a school administrator. Thanks to all my peeps at the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, Dr. Carolyn Teaglin, Dr. Carol Cork, Mary Bernard, Barb Gruber, Kathy Foley, Nolan Taylor, Brittany Sammons, Elizabeth Bloom, and Jeff Wyatt. Thank you to Dr. Shari McCrary for your time and wisdom. Thanks to Dr. Kristen Brunette and her students at East Carolina University in North Carolina. And to all my podcasting pals out there in the world, there are way too many of you to name, but you know who you are. Finally, thanks to my wife, Brianna, and my kids, Jaden, Isaiah, Imogen, And of course, our pets, Jupiter and Voldemort. Your support on this project has meant the world. Thanks for your time and attention. Microphone. <laughs> Be scared. Walk. Walk fast. Otherwise, you never know what might happen.
1: From MCIE.